0: What's up, everybody? This is Grant at Cause Artist. Welcome to another episode of the Disruptors for Good podcast. Sorry, I've been uh, out for a little bit. I had some eye surgery, and it's really put me out of commission for a little bit. I couldn't couldn't see too much. Had to had to be in the dark for like days at a time, just no sunlight, no nothing. So I'm get solely getting my vision back. So slowly able to to sort of get this get the podcast back rolling. So we have a ton backed up, and I'll be releasing them. Uh, pretty quickly here. But today's episode is with Tyla Abbott. She is the founder of Aether Beauty, which is a clean cosmetic company disrupting the, the cosmetic and beauty industry from a really incredible sustainable standpoint, but also from a from a very clean and organic standpoint, which we discover in the episode is really not the case for the industry. It's uh, very non environmental friendly and, and filled with chemicals that it's quite interesting. It's a little sad. But it's also optimistic what she's building with Aether Beauty and what she uh, what she learned from her time at Sephora, um, on the sustainability team there, really building out their sustainability guidelines at Sephora. So she talks a lot about that. She talks a lot about the industry, where it's at, you know, where she's trying to lead it to. So she's an absolutely inspirational individual, and she speaks, you know, so intelligently about the subject matter. I mean, I don't know anybody in the world or She's probably top five person in the world to to really talk to this stuff about. So it's really really interesting topic, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. It's good to be back. Uh, have a great day. Have a great week, and we'll talk very soon. Thanks. Bye. So how I usually like to to start these conversations is is about an individual's journey. And what path they took to get here. And when I talk to people, they're usually kind of in this time of their life where they're building something that they're going to dedicate a very long time to, right? Years and time and money, you know, stress and all these different things that, you know, they're going to, they're going to have along this path. So take us a little bit through the, through the roadmap.
1: Yeah. So my background is actually in fashion design. So I have a bachelor of fine arts in sculpture and a double masters in fashion design and word design. And so I worked in the fashion design realm for a few years before I transitioned to beauty. But I was super young at the time and I worked for a small company. And the company that I worked for, I was really lucky because A, it was small, so you sort of learn every single aspect of the business. But B, Mm -hmm. we had production in house, which was at the time somewhat unheard of. Right. And I was there for a few years and the owner transitioned the production to China. Mm. And so I used to have to go to China once every two months to work with very small factories that would handle the small amount of units. And I, you know, saw a lot of things I wish I could unsee. And I felt very disempowered at the time. I was super young, um, but it always sort of stuck with me and really helped me understand, you know, a product life cycle and who touches things before something ends up in stores. Um, And fast forward, so then I sort of transitioned to beauty and I got my job um, in beauty at Sephora. So I sort of transitioned, transition because I became in charge of their private label brand for accessories. So mm. for me that was kind of like a little bit of a easy leap. So I was designing makeup bags, eyelash curlers, makeup brushes, tools of the trade, everything that was basically not formula. Um, And in true Sephora fashion, I was thrown into formula development to my (laughs) job and basically had to roll up my sleeves and learn in order to basically survive. But for me, I sort of thrive in that sort of environment and I absolutely loved it. I got to eventually be in charge of all makeup collaborations. So every time it said a brand plus Sephora, like Moschino to Museum of Ice Cream to Pantone for many years. And so it got me really into this great creative space. And I got to learn from some of the best product developers in this space. And I got to learn really from the Sephora client themselves, Mm -hmm. because nobody holds back in this space when you launch a product. (laughs) You will know. Sure,
2: <laughs> like, I loves
1: it Or loves it. Um, but it's a really great tool to understand what the client is looking for and to really be able to push formulation to to basically create product that she'll love. So I loved my job. I got to be creative. I got to travel the world. I got paid really well. It just after a while, I just kind of started to have a disconnect with formulating conventional cosmetics and living in an organic lifestyle. So right. I've been a vegetarian for over 27 years. I worked as an organic cook in college and was pronouncing quinoa correctly before anyone knew what the heck it was. <laughs> um, I got an organic couch made cause I'm terrified of fire retardants and kind of to make myself feel better because. At the time I just, you know, thought my job was my job. Right. I wanted to do something and being part of Sephora, which is such a great huge entity, I actually volunteered there on top of my day-to-day role and became their head of research and development for sustainability for all of the hmm. And so I, you know, went to a ton of sustainable cosmetic conferences. I talked to so many packaging engineers in the space and sort of learned how bad the packaging piece was in the yeah. beauty industry.
0: Right.
1: The EPA reported that a third of the landfills from the beauty industry. Wow. You know how Incredible.
0: <laughs> Incredible. Like that's Incredible. In-
1: insane. And so I wanted to do something about it. And at the same time, Sephora was ideating these clean, their clean category.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So,
1: you know, I wasn't a buyer. I was on the product development side, but the buyers knew how passionate I was about this space. And so they brought me into all these third party color meetings where brands were presenting as potentials for Sephora to bring in. And I had never been so bored at meetings at Sephora. <laughs> you're used to seeing color and formula innovation and all these amazing formulas that like do your dishes too right mm-hmm. space at the time was so far behind conventional that in a meeting I actually you know stopped meeting and told a brand how to fix one of their products before they launched it and they stopped meeting they're like who are you and then I really just started to look at the space and I was like you know nobody in the space comes from true product development mm-hmm. the majority of these founders come because they get a skin issue they get pregnant they start peeling Away the onion and learning how bad the ingredient piece is in this space. But I have seven years of learning from some of the best developers in the world, learning you know who to work with, who makes the best product, who to, who you know just really understanding my connections and knowing what the Sephora client wants because at the time the space was really only talking to like the natural girl, which in my opinion I was like it's not just the natural girl that deserves like non-toxic
2: beauty. Everybody, right? Everybody yeah.
1: does, yeah. right? Yeah,
2: yeah. And
1: with my design background, like I like color. I like, you know, I have a, my organic couch that I made is ac- is actually like a hot magenta color. Like my walls <laughs> my kitchen are like teal. Like I just, color invigorates me and makes me happy. And I love conventional, innovative beauty brands like Fenty and Natasha Denona and Pat McGrath. But you know, I don't like the ingredients that they use. And I knew I could formulate to that standard. So it was sort of the blossoming of an idea to sort of leave and start my own brand. And I sort of naively sat down and crunched the numbers, but it was enough of a mental boost for me to leave and launch the brand. So I did it. I left in April, 2018, and I launched the brand in June that year in the summer solstice, completely self-funded. I'm the only employee. It's been a wild wild ride but the brand has now been alive for over two years and i just won an allure best of beauty award yesterday for my radiant Ruby the cream which is basically like the oscars of beauty so very excited (laughs) for um what i've accomplished and for what's to come in the future
0: amazing i want there's so much to touch on here uh the, the first thing would be is like i never heard of somebody like going to volunteer at a company that they already work for. So what was like that conversation like? Cause they, did they not have any type of sustainability, like team or a person that was sort of,
1: they were sort of trying to figure it out. So they had one yeah. on the team that was trying to build a team. And so, you know, when you try to build a team, you don't have a lot of dollar allocation or right. whatever. So I just wanted to help. And I was like, how can I help you? Um, and so, you know, I was already paid as an employee. So whatever I did would have to be on top of what I could handle. Um, but that's a great way to get onto certain projects and stuff like that within Sephora. So that's, that's pretty common, especially for like larger companies um, or people want to transition. They actually uh, tried to get me to come over and just be on the sustainability team, but Mm -hmm. I'm a creative person and I like Producing product and that sort of piece would be largely missing for me. So I sort of wanted to prove that I could have a sustainable brand and not be like Whole Foods granola and compete with right. the prestige brands.
0: How long were you in that? Did you volunteer for that role for like on that team and kind of the R and D part? I
1: think- Little over two years. Um, okay. So you, and so I you learned a lot for of, sure. You know, huh? Packaging guidelines that they still mm-hmm. use, which is funny because I am a, a brand that sold at Sephora, and they are you know their sustainability team has definitely grown and they've definitely made great strides. Um, sure, yeah. Help, but they like gave out a pamphlet to all their brands about like you know, sustainable packaging and all that. And I was like, oh, I wrote
0: this. I wrote this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it was kind of like full circle for me.
0: So a a little bit about kind of what you, I guess what you learned along the way, because the one thing that really jumped out at me in in kind of doing uh, just a little bit of reading was that there's 11 banned chemicals in color cosmetics in the United States, but there are over 1300 in the European Union that are banned. And I think a lot of what, sustainability is in any sector not just cosmetics or beauty is like education right i think people as we as we continue down this this path of like the internet exploding and being able to to like answer any question you have right i think more and more people are kind of looking into how their things are made what's in it especially with food right especially that movement of food that revolution of like what am i putting in my body right like that was a huge sort of thing that that kind of happened over the last couple decades and now like what we're putting on our body i think is taking the same revolution and people wanting to know more and doing your sort of just like research and digging deep into this stuff was that the most shocking thing that you you saw was was sort of the the banned chemicals area or was it the the shipping right and and the, the waste that goes into to cosmetics is is amazing, I didn't know that, right? But we're we're, we're just the alarm setting off at every single angle of the industry when you were taking that deep dive.
1: Yeah, you know, the ingredient piece wasn't so shocking to me just because, you know, I'm used to how rules work in the US. Mm -hmm. So the the law that you're referring to is the law that was established in 1938. So in 1938, the FDA banned 33 chemicals in all of beauty but it hasn't been updated since then. Um, And in the U S it's a mentality that you have to prove that something is unsafe before Mm -hmm. it's taken out of the market. Mm And since 1938, there's been over 16,000 ingredients introduced into the cosmetic world. And each company, each country has their own set of rules. Canada bans over 500 ingredients the EU has over 1,300. Um, the EU's mentality is that you have to prove something is safe before you can introduce it into the
2: right, right. It's
1: a different, you know, perspective on how they basically run their government. And so, you know, for me, I actually keep adding to my list and now I'm over 2,500 ingredients. Wow. So 1,300 is great. And, you know, people are always like, what's the top five ingredients I should avoid? And I'm mm-hmm. always like, well, if it was just five, my list would just be five, you know. I. Just- <laughs> You know, only eat organic broccoli. But if you're eating, you know, conventional potatoes at the same time, like you're, you're just not really doing much for your health. Um, and yes, it totally stems from food because people understand this direct connection
2: mm-hmm. that they're
1: putting something in their body. Um, and that's how I got into this world with becoming a vegetarian, with becoming, you know, huge advocate for organic and understand what's being sprayed in our food and then understanding the chemicals in our everyday life, in our carpets, in our mattresses, in our cars, in our anything. Um, We're surrounded on a daily basis. So, you know, there's so many upticks in cancers in our world, and especially with women. It's hard not to make a connection with everything we're surrounded by and breathing in on a daily basis. I mean, even the fires in California, you know, people are breathing in air of things that... be burned. Right. So taking care of your health is a very important passion of mine. But you know, the packaging piece I think was more eye-opening to me.
2: Yeah. So crazy.
1: Yeah. So, you know, even as a product developer, like there are basic things I didn't know. Um, and granted, you know, I'm not an industrial designer. I work with great packaging people in the space. And I actually, you know, when I started ideating the brand, I, you know, bombarded them with a ton of questions. And i went to recycling facilities and just basically like learned how our infrastructure works which people mm-hmm, don't design mm-hmm. understanding how our government actually works with how um you know people people just think that they put something in the recycling bin and it magically reappears <laughs> right,
2: right.
1: in their fridge right yeah, yeah and so you know i was incredibly naive when i first went into this space like i went yep. i went to recology in san francisco with a bunch of different like packaging components that I had and I thought Mm -hmm. I could watch them go down the line and see where <laughs> they end up, you know, I was like, oh, this will be a fun project. And no, they just come and dump tons and tons and tons on these conveyor belt, and then it gets separated through sensors and mm-hmm. you know, eventually, you know, in these different categories and bundles, but just even knowing basics like black plastic it does not get recycled and mm-hmm. goes directly to the landfill on a simple fact that it's being laid on a black conveyor belt and the sensors can't read black plastic wow yeah. Our infrastructures aren't built with this mentality of, oh, let's save the world and recycle everything. It's a business. So yep. they only work as efficiently as possible and trying to make the most of what they can. And unfortunately, a lot of recycling facilities have actually closed in the past year. So over 500 facilities have closed because they're so expensive for um, local towns to run. And a lot of times nobody's buying the secondary yeah. um, materials so you know and everyone thinks you know you just see a little recycle number on there that everything can get recycled
0: and it's not the case
1: true at all yeah Um, one three one and three is basically the most recycled products out there um everything else is very hard and very complicated um but you know besides glass and aluminum which Mm -hmm. even a lot of places don't even recycle glass which it's very, very interesting how our system is just broken in that way. So trying to figure out a way to create a product that works in our infrastructures, that my kids won't be responsible for cleaning up in the mm-hmm. rest, you know, when they grow up or my product ending up in an ocean. Like it just-
0: Yeah. T- I know. I saw some of the his yeah. photos that people take of, you know, pick up like, you know, Starbucks cups, like in the ocean, right? It's like, a brand should not want that ever to be the case, right? It, it's such a powerful statement. I saw that, and I was just like, like you know, you're a top, like a tied, like like I said, plastic thing that holds your things. It's like picking up in the ocean, like that's that should be a real kick in the ass for these companies. And, and really, it starts with us. It really, I mean, it, look, it ends and starts with the consumer. And if if we keep buying it and not caring, and they're going to keep producing it and not caring.
1: Yes. Um, Power was, yeah. is in the consumer, but I interject because sure. this all this whole mentality that it's the consumer's fault was a huge marketing campaign created by the American Can Company in the 1970s. So I'm old enough to remember this commercial. It always goes a back to an ad I campaign. To, <laughs> a lot of people I talk to don't remember it. So, um, But it was a commercial where Um, In 1970, I I wasn't alive in 1970, but the commercial ran for decades um, because it was so strong that um, basically the first Earth Day happened in 1970. And at the time, these large um, conglomerates in the can and bottle industry Mm -hmm. were transitioning to plastic. And so they basically ran an anti-pollution ad, which was... um, an actor that played a native American, even though he wasn't a native American. So there's issues with that, but he was like the, the ad is like him rowing on like some river and Mm -hmm. it's like transitioning through time into the city and the city, like he's on a highway and like someone trash out their window and he's crying. And it's like, you know, how do we respect the earth and all this sort of stuff. But it was basically like created by the can can company to put the onus on the consumer Mm
2: -hmm. that Mm -hmm.
1: it's their fault, that they're littering, that they should recycle. And recycling started booming after all of that. Um, And what's amazing is that environmental companies picked up the commercial and was playing it and didn't know who was actually behind the commercial. <laughs> like it was so overplayed that they, um, the old films would keep um, burning and they had to reprint this ad over and over again. Um, but it's so ingrained in our psyche that it's like our job to do that. And, you know, if we were built in you know, a perfect world, in my opinion, you know, companies should have a financial responsibility for whatever they put in the market. That if it doesn't get recycled, they get a, you know, to fee or a tax or something yeah. like that. No, um, that
0: I, 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 I totally. To I, I, people yeah, I, absolutely. Design
1: better, you know? Totally
0: but, agree. Totally agree. Because there's not, I mean, the, I think your point is, is super valid, where if the recycling system is not unstreamlined right and it is very broken it doesn't matter if we as consumers recycle right because yeah, it's still nine like
1: percent bro- it's still broken recycled
0: yeah it's most like people yeah most most of the stuff that we put in is it's it's te- how do they get away with it is that it's technically recyclable if a company or somebody actually buys it to recycle it but a lot of this stuff can't be bought and turned into something else so it just goes straight to the landfill they'll end up in the ocean. And then this year, China stopped buying all of our garbage and waste. We were sending so much bad, like, recycling to China that they didn't even want to take it anymore. Like, how terrible is that? Well, <laughs> and really
1: China bad. wasn't actually recycling it anyway. Yeah, of course no. not.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Of course. And There's a great front-line, frontline documentary on it, Plastic Wars. It's amazing. It's amazing. It sucks and it's sad, but it's really good. Really well done.
1: No, and like I'm such, you know, and what you said, yes, there's so much power in our uh, consumer power. And so for me, I'm really trying to take this idea of slow fashion, which people Mm. understand with, you know, supporting local with paying fair wage and fair trade and, you know, making product that is a little bit more withstanding than fast fashion into beauty so beauty. I, you, know, you know my products have a huge fill so they last three to four years after you open them um basically it's like anti-beauties overconsumption yeah um, for sure business so i have a lot of you know um negativity seen on that
0: sure yeah Me,
1: you know The bigger a fill you put into something, the less replenishment you have, the less packaging waste you have, even if your packaging is recyclable. All of those little minis that like everyone thinks are so cute, and they get free samples and all that stuff. Anything under two inches, like if you have a credit card, a credit card is a great um, tool to use because anything smaller than a credit card does not get recycled. So Hmm. all of those billions of units, there's over 120 billion color uh, cosmetic Packaging single use created every single year that is wow. going into our landfills. So, really, just you know, I always say to someone, like, it's so easy to just press buy on Amazon and like get something, especially right now in a COVID world, delivered to your world. But for me, we're sort of in this we're nomad land because we moved <laughs> out of our place in San Francisco in March and we've been like living Airbnb month to month since, but that's another story. But we live down our our things and our necessities and say you need whatever you need to buy a new spatula something for your car like food item like you know it's really easy to look at a food product and understand where it's coming from Mm -hmm. what the ingredients are and the sort of nutrition value it's really hard to do that with other categories with beauty you know, that's why a lot of these conventional beauty brands get away with using ingredients like Teflon, literally Teflon, the same spray Jesus. on pans um, are being used in eyeshadow products and being used for clean beauty brands. So it's so interesting to me because there is no laws and regulation that
2: mm-hmm. well, you mm-hmm. know, there's
1: tons of green washing, tons of clean washing, all of that, um, that you really have to be a scientist in order to understand and read an inky. So it's been, you know, really all about education, just like you said. But even like the next pot I have to buy, I'm like, you know, let let me research a pot that's going to last longer, that's not the cheapest thing I can find in China, because I've been to China and I've seen probably who's making that piece um, Mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm.
1: and how it affects their lives, their sort of living conditions. Um, It's just been, you know, really interesting to now be empowered to make these choices where i look at every single you know raw ingredient and I look at every single ingredient in my packaging like a raw ingredient mm-hmm. to make the best choices. Um, for example, mirrors and magnets are completely unrecyclable. Yep. Magnets are mined and th- they're part of rare earth mining, which is incredibly toxic to the health of their workers and the environment. And we are like putting magnets in every single lipstick case, every single mm-hmm. compact. I mean, mirrors are in our, our magnets are in our computers and our phones everywhere. But like Everyone just thinks it's a magnet. Nobody thinks about the actual person associated with. And this whole trend of like vegan and cruelty-free is great, but I always say, what about human cruelty-free? Like, don't understand, you know, the child labor, the forced labor, the prison labor that happens in our everyday products all the time.
0: What would you recommend people looking at when they go to, whether it's Sephora or whatever the cosmetic store they go to, like label-wise, you know, they have all these labels like, you know, for food, right? Fair trade, non-GMO, all these different things. Is there is there trusted labels that you trust, right? That people should look for on their cosmetic products? I mean, they should just go and buy either beauty, right? But if if it's, maybe it's not available, so maybe they're out of stock, right? Like yeah. what are some of the, what are some of the like certifications that people should look for on, on their cosmetics?
1: Yeah, but, there's not many.
0: Exactly. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like you need to create it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, people advocating for government for so many different reforms for this for decades and it Mm -hmm. just doesn't happen so um you know there's different certifications like leaping bunny is probably the highest certification you can get for vegan and cruelty free um but that doesn't mean uh an ingredient is actually non-toxic that just means you know it wasn't created with any use of animal ingredients or tested on an animal, which is a start. And it's the only real large certification. There are certifications in different countries. So you can get like a Cosmos certification for certain um, items, but it has to be like 95 or 97% organic sort of thing, which is also incredibly hard with cosmetics because you're using minerals a lot of times and minerals Mm -hmm. aren't, aren't organic or inorganic. They're, they just are. So you can't like grow an organic um, mica or something like that. Like it's just naturally found in the ground. So it's a little bit harder to do certifications like that. Um, For me, I actually put a lot of trust in different retailers that are sort of trailblazing this space. And because it's so complicated for a client to just sit down and understand all these nuances, it's easier for them to get into the space by going to a retailer who has done their due diligence. So some examples are Credo Beauty or the Detox Market. They are very great advocates for both of their lists are in the thousands of what they fan before an ingredient, before brand can go into their doors. And they're doing you know some steps when it comes to packaging and sustainability. Beauty Heroes is a trailblazer um, even even further than that so clean beauty is kind of cur- like called this green beauty space mm-hmm. There's this new space popping up called blue beauty which takes into consideration how the ingredients break down in the environment so you know I'm sure you've heard of like microplastic beads yep. um, and things like that and like glitter is classic and it just goes down the drain and ends up in our waterways and all of that but things like silicone silicone doesn't break down and it's in all of our foundations and skincare and like items that people think they just wash their face off and it's done but no it goes through the drain it goes to our waterways all that sort of stuff so beauty heroes is sort of a trailblazer to go beyond a green list to look at it from an environmental standard which is what I do with Aether Beauty and Mm -hmm. then taking that perspective into packaging as well so Um, Sephora is great. They're trying their, you know, I think it's hard to be a retailer where you're selling both conventional and clean um, because, you know, conventional brands, you know, how do you sell a brand next to something that's like not clean, you know, but still sell it. So I think they're doing a good job and they're huge, right? So their band list is about 50 ingredients, but it's to start versus like Credo or Detox or Beauty Heroes, which is like two or 3,000 sort of things. So, but it's getting people, you know, to understand that they should probably be looking in the space and looking at their ingredients and taking a second to understand that, you know, what they're putting on their skin is being absorbed by your skin. So, even if it's like something that sits on top of your skin, it can create you know, a blockage where your skin isn't breathing and you're drying it out and you're causing your skin to age faster. So Hmm. it might might not necessarily be absorbed, quote unquote, into your skin. Your skin is actually pretty strong. layers and layers that it doesn't, you know, everyone always says it takes like a few seconds to get into your bloodstream. That's actually not true, but you are still affecting your top layers of your skin and touching and especially eating. Like if you have lipsticks, Mm -hmm. um, you constantly, I mean, there's some statistic you eat a few pounds of lipstick every year. There are independent studies where the FDA or, or other third parties will randomly test products in the market and we'll find that like 90% of them go above the recommended levels of just freaking lead. Like it's just right. all unregulated and it's up to brands to self-regulate and you only really get in trouble if there's a huge, huge issue. Um, there is a hair care brand where basically the product was burning people's scalps. And so there's so many complaints that the FDA stood in and did something about it, but it's very few and far between because the FDA is very understaffed and they yeah. deal with, you know, the medical world, all these other different worlds that beauty just becomes the bottom of the barrel for their importance.
0: Talk a little bit about more about your packaging because there's, we, we discussed a lot about it and what I, I see, like, there's like a zero waste eyeshadow palette. So like, kind of talk, talk us through like what that is, right? And all the intricacies that go through like this entire sort of product, right? Where you can kind of look at this as like a benchmark or something to to look at, try to do throughout an entire product line. Like when is it possible or can you just do it for like the eyeshadow palette like at this point in time?
1: Yeah, so, you know, when I was ideating the brand, I didn't know how... Client facing the sustainability piece would be and I didn't know how much people would care But for me, it was just an important piece as an owner to be responsible for so You know when I started I wanted to create a palette so I didn't start and think what's the most sustainable product? I can make I decided I wanted to create an eyeshadow palette because in the clean beauty space there weren't any Mm-hmm. So that's what I wanted to launch with and I also wanted to launch with something that I knew if I like, you know, in this digital world where you're gifting influencers or something's going to a magazine, right. you know, if you have a an image of your product, how is it going to stand out? So if I launched with like a liquid lip or a lipstick, they all generically look the same that you wouldn't mm-hmm. get as much impact as a new brand versus looking at my eyeshadow palettes, So they're all like triangle pans and this really unique design that people now associate that with my brand. So that was completely on purpose. Um, But thinking about how to put this product into packaging, I didn't reinvent the wheel. There's nothing I created that can be patented, which is what all all like investors wanna know, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. thought about it differently. And I took the time to think about it differently. And I talked to so many packaging engineers and I, you know, talked to them about what I wanted to do. And they all sort of laughed at me and they are like taking out of their archives they're like, yeah, we did bamboo like 10 years ago. And I was like, no, not bamboo. Um, <laughs> I'm not talking like whole foods granola. Like how do we create something that is sophisticated and can be, you know, um, beautiful, but not be mass. So, I was looking at paper pallets and even paper doesn't mean something can get recycled. So mm-hmm. I use FSC certified paper, which just basically means fair trade and they're not contributing to deforestation, which mm-hmm. in itself should be like every single piece of paper in the world, but sure. that's a pretty easy swap out. And now brands are doing that and claiming like, they're like the kings of sustainability. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, greenwashing. Yeah,
0: yeah. That, and that's so, gotta be a little disappointing. Like for Yeah, you it's who, very
1: frustrating. Yeah, it's gotta brand. be because as much as there's no regulations in the ingredient piece, there's no real regulations in the packaging pieces as well. Although there's been some um, class action lawsuits against like Amazon and like Keurig, like Keurig was claiming their um, little coffee pods were recyclable, but like I said, they're smaller than two inches, so they can't get recycled. So there was a class action against them, but anyway. Um, I digress, but basically I learned that mirrors and magnets were not recyclable. And so I was like, okay, well, when I worked for Sephora and I worked with all these pro makeup artists, they would complain all the time about all these palettes and all these heavy mirrors and they travel all the time and they're heavy and they break. Like, why do we keep putting these mirrors in there? So it was just kind of like, okay, I don't need to need a mirror. Everybody uses this in front of a mirror anyway.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Great point. Yeah.
1: of like a magnet closure like I came up with an elastic and sure an elastic is totally you know plastic like that's what it is but you can cut it off and reuse it as a hair tie so there is mm. a option to it I never claimed to be a hundred percent you know but it's
0: yeah it's impossible right now though right? it's just not there yet yeah Yeah, like, and
1: it's like how can you come up with a unique solution that works mm-hmm. for you and your brand yeah. Um, even the pans, they're recycled aluminum, and you can pop those out and basically you have to make it really user friendly mm-hmm. in order to get the client to actually do their part to recycle it as well so that's sort of where recycling is going there's all these sort of third party like symbols you can get now besides Mm -hmm. just like the little you know three arrows right right Um, now it'll say you know the top is recycle number one and Mm -hmm. remove this and the bottom is recycle whatever or throw it in the trash so it's very specific which is great um and i think you know that will help consumers understand a little bit more about how the cycle works not just oh this just gets recycled sort of thing.
0: yeah is there have you looked into any like biodegradable options like is that a possibility within oh, cosmetics or is, they don't blend a- well
1: <laughs> fan of biodegradable plastics so a so when i went to the recycling facilities like i'm lucky enough when i lived in san francisco that there is um, industrialized composting and it's mandatory mm-hmm. to compost in san francisco right so mm-hmm. i went to the composting facility and was talking to them um and they're related to recology and everything and i was like you know i have all these materials what should i use and it's in front of other companies and other Designers there, so it wasn't just me. There was tons of people who like have restaurants that they're like, "What should I use for takeout materials and stuff like that?" Right. And so they were saying, "Whatever you use, don't use bioplastic." And I was like, "Okay, so what should I use?" And they were like, "Use plastic." And I was like, "La la 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 la, do not tell more people to use more plastic."
2: <laughs> and I was like,
1: "Why?" And so they said, "You know, bioplastic." if it's a biodegradable fork or biodegradable component or whatever, looks exactly like plastic. And when they get, people just throw it into the recycling bin, right? Mm -hmm. So when it gets thrown into the recycling bin, it goes into these huge conveyor belts and gets, you know, separated with plastic and how the recycling facilities work is that the recycling facilities get dinged. So China stopped taking our plastic, I believe, two years ago Mm -hmm. um,
2: because
1: of our fun relationship with our current administration in China. But Mm -hmm. basically they started having really high, like 99% uh, expectation for purity of the goods, which means like if you have a takeout container and it's soiled, like that wouldn't go through. Um, Or you don't clean out your, you literally have to clean your recycling goods before it can actually get recycled. And if it's tossed into a bundle with other materials, they don't just take that recycling food, that food container out, they take the whole bundle and put it in the landfill. Hmm. So they're, you know, like I said, it's a business, like they're not in it for doing the greater good of this earth, they're doing it for efficiency and how they're gonna make the most money. Um, So biodegradable plastics mess up that stream. Then on the biodegradable side, so if you're lucky enough to even have an industrialized composting facility because these ingredients need an industrialized one, the one in San Francisco is getting faster and faster. So it used to be 60 days and now it's 30 days and whatever doesn't decompose in 30 days, they just take and put in the landfill. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And these biodegradable plastics take six months, nine months, a year to biodegrade and everyone you know, thinks it's the solution because it basically has a green name, but you're just making, you're just making plastic. You're making blast plastic using a biosource, which in my opinion, biosources should be used to, to make food like we're now using food for plastic. Um, And so, you know, that to me has a huge ethical issue. There are some plastics that are being, you know, created using some certain plant materials like oyster shells and things that wouldn't necessarily used for food. But it's like using black plastic for me, like black plastic just says it's okay to use black plastic versus understanding black plastic isn't recyclable and you're adding to sort of the bigger problem. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's super complicated. There are all different types of bioplastics. There's PLA, there's yep. all part ones and only certain ones can, there are maybe one grade that can get recycled with other plastic, but considering how the world isn't actually recycling, you're not really doing yourself any favors. Mm-hmm. So I actually have a liquid lip. So what I won in a few awards for this year with the liquid lip besides the formulation is the fact that, you know if you think of a lipstick or a liquid lip container, it's all different mixed materials. And mm-hmm. that's sort of a problem in my space and especially color cosmetics. Like skincare, sure, you can put it in a glass jar and like a lid, right? right. But in like a component, you have all different types of plastics mixed together. You have screws, you have applicators, you have all these little itty bitty things that render something um, not recyclable. So um, my liquid lip is all 100% the same material through and through, except for the little applicator that you do have to cut out cut off and discard. Um, But it's also 100% recycled. So there's no virgin plastic used. Hmm. Um, PET, which is recycled number one, which is the most easily recycled plastic. So, you know, there's so many arguments you can make in this space from if, you know, is, you know, biodegradable plastic better than using recycled plastic better than, you know, X, Y, and Z. It is all debatable um, and I do think it's up to each brand to decide what's right for them but I do think everybody needs to be educated to understand what this all really implies because people just put these sustainability initiatives and these huge companies yep. at the top level then mm-hmm. everyone at the bottom level is scrambling to hit them but they're not learning what how our systems work they just see you know, a third party coming in and be like, oh, we have biodegradable plastic, it'll save you 25% of carbon, but it's mm-hmm. not actually, right. you know, all salespeople. Yep. To it, it's so interesting. So, that's why, yes, education, education, education.
0: Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's 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 yeah, tough. that it, It's unfortunate that we have to be this educated, right, where we, we can't have a simplified process. We can't have innovation within the recycling facilities. We can't have simplified med- it's like it, uh, it's like our tax code right yeah. we it's like we get uh, nobody can understand it and it's like why are we making it so so complicated and like the fda can't approve thousands of chemicals because like you know it's just so complicated like they don't have the bandwidth and some simplified thing that you can do it seems like that would be the approach but like you said there's there's not a lobby for like clean beauty right like pumping all this money and like There's lobbying effort like Capitol Hill in Washington, but there is probably for like big beauty, right? Big cosmetics. I'm sure that the reason why this bill hasn't been updated ever and it's still only 30 chemicals is because you know they're you know paying politicians to not update it, right? Um, That that happens in every industry.
1: Majority of people in Washington are men, right? Yeah, that's a great point. It does really affect them. I mean, it does, but um, it's a great point. It's a a great point there yep. are lots of brands behind this initiative too and so it is just also the struggle of getting through the government system so mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. making it a priority so it's just you know again there's so much consumer power because if the consumer starts asking and the consumer is buying with her dollars then that's when brands pay attention mm-hmm. you know like Okay, a law here is going to be updated, yes or no, or whatever. You know, most laws start in California, and California sort of starts the president for other states. So it can be a state level sort of thing. So um, even with the issue with fire retardants, you know, fire mm-hmm. retardants were added because of a California law, and so um, which had to protect firefighters, right? But they didn't understand, you know, what was happening. Um, when somebody was sleeping on these for eight hours a day 365 days a year times how many years they're alive with everything with our couches with our mattresses with our sitting in your car cushions and Mm -hmm. what that effect of that chemical does on that individual so it's it is very complicated but you know I do think an educated consumer is you know, the best way to be, even though it takes a lot of time to really understand the space because of the false information out there. I yeah, mean, For sure. fake news is like the biggest threat to humanity on every single level. So yeah, it, it's just very, I'm like terrified as a mom <laughs>
0: growing no, up. I, I What's gonna
1: happen to my kids, you know, like I. it's very interesting.
0: I want to, I usually like to end on the future a little bit and some of the goals and, and successes. And I know, you know, you have a, a ton of going on and, you know, I, I think every day you're, I can imagine you you waking up and, you know, you're already crushing it and then you're ending your day late. Like, I think you're just, it seems like you're just a lifelong learner, right? You're learning as you get up and, and as you go to bed and trying to, you know, improve you know your own personal life, or right? you're trying to improve your company, you're trying to improve your brand, you're trying to you're trying to just make the best product available for for consumers. So, what is like three years from now, five years? from now, What are some of the goals that that you have set? What are some of the successes that you've already done a lot, right? Within two years, right, you've already won several awards, you've already hit certain milestones internally that that I'm sure that you've had. So, what is the what are some of the goals? that narrow left to check off as you look, you know, three years down the line as, you, as we get past sort of this new normal.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, I have one employee myself. Love it. Um, and I'm in all doors at Sephora. I'm in Credo, Detox, Steve Marcus, Anthropology, Free People, Urban Outfitters about to be in Gloss in Europe. It has been very difficult to raise funds, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 2% of funds go to female founders. And that itself is just astounding. And now, you know, it's even more difficult because that 2% is going to BIPOC businesses, which is great, but it's not opening up the pool for, you know, other females. They're just taking that pool to other founders, which is necessary. But at the same time, you know, investors really look for this sort of cookie cutter brand, uh, basically application with growth and A margin and they're not really that interested in the bottom line when it comes to the changes you're making in the industry. So, you know, for everything I do, of course costs more. So I have, you know, a yep. profitable business, but you know, in beauty, people are used to like 80, 90% margin yeah. because right. they're using these crap ingredients. They're using horrible labor conditions in China. And it's not a conversation that people even understand So the most difficult part for me, honestly, has been getting funding. So I (laughs) hope to be able to get funding, to be able to grow for what I'm building, because I am clearly growing something with a huge following um, and a huge initiative that's only gonna get bigger. Um, And you know, Sephora now uses my brand as the gold standard when it comes to packaging for all their brands. And that to me, say I go out of business, say something happens or whatever, like at least I started you know pushing the needle in this conversation because yeah. when I started nobody cared yeah. and now when I walk trade shows I mean pre-covid when I actually did <laughs> um you know every single supplier had some sort of sustainable option and uh, like yeah, 100%. because I'd come in their booth and they'd like hide them because they like knew I would just like tear it apart
0: yeah of course uh,
1: as sort of thing but as you
0: should though right as you should totally it's not but that's up to like far. sort
1: of the problem it's like people just use it as like a selling tool or check, checking the box and they're not really understanding the whole picture but that's still a step in the right direction on all these little steps are changing it because it's not okay the waste yeah. that this space is making the lives that it is touching the ingredients people are using like packaging is just the first level. So, you know, I really want people to understand, you know, all of the labor that goes behind it. I mean, when a product is produced in China, you know, these people are making on average 200 or $300 a month um, and working 60 hour weeks and living at their factories. So understanding that versus just even producing in LA and paying, you know, for the cost of living in a United States worker is a right. lot higher. So, you know, it, it is interesting um, what is happening because the consumer wants it, but investors haven't caught up yet. Yep. Um, and investors just wanna like, oh, we want a clean beauty brand or oh, we want this now, but they don't understand how it's even gonna progress more. Um, yep. And they're just looking for this, that fast money maker. So yep. it be interesting.
0: Well, I appreciate you so much for taking the time. Incredible story. I love every part about it. And it's, uh, I'm just, uh, I'm hoping that, you know, even if we get one customer to kind of change their buying habits. Right. And I think it's super important that, you know, the Sephora's in the world are out there because it, it allows people access to your brand. Right. And And so I think that, you know, we can no longer say, you know, opportunity to buy it or the access to it, or maybe it's $10 more than a product they usually buy there. There's power in the decision that you make, right. When you walk in there. And I, I think it's, it's a great opportunity now for people to know that they have that option when they walk in. I think also target has been doing solid things about bringing in like really decent brands now. So I'm hoping maybe you could talk to somebody there because I think that's obviously a huge opportunity where a lot of shoppers go to have access to that consumer base, I think is super, super important. Um, so hopefully more of these big, big box stores, like get involved and get on board because that to me is, is a game changer when you can meet the person physically where they already go is, uh, is very, very important in my opinion. Um, so that's the luck the rest of this year and obviously best of luck in the future and just keep, keep grinding. I know it's hard. I know it's hard and tough, but like you're you're crushing it, like keep just grinding, keep crushing it and it'll all work out.
1: Thank you, Grant. I appreciate
2: that.